In the name of Jesus, amen. Lord, you know. So the prophet Jeremiah, circa 600 B.C., began our Old Testament lesson. Lord, you know, and uh, of course he does. He knows everything. He knows what Jeremiah suffers. He knows why, and he knows at whose hands. God knows. But even though Jeremiah knows he knows, he is going to tell him anyway, because he is ticked. (laughs) To paraphrase, remember me and give my persecutors with what they deserve. I know you're patient, but don't be so darn patient that I end up dying while you're busy being patient. I'm a good guy. I don't party with the wrong crowd. In fact, I don't party with any crowds, Lord, because what you have given me to tell and I've been faithful telling is pretty much a buzzkill for anybody around. I'm all alone. My pain never ceases. My wounds of body and soul fester. And then the big question. One it's all been leading up to. Why? The question, different wounds, but same question for you 26 centuries later. Why? Since Jeremiah is ticked off and because he fashions himself a poet and has no trouble at all yelling at God, he beefs up his why with an image that many of the folks, all the folks in his day, would have gotten. He says, God, you are a big, fat, deceitful brook. It's like this. I'm as thirsty as can possibly be and uh, parched by the the Middle Eastern sun. But I know there's that stream off in the distance. Oh, it's going to taste so good when I get to that sweet water only to get there to ride up. Deceitful brook, you God. I have a different image. I worked at a Ruth's Chris Steakhouse once upon a time. 20 years ago, top-notch place. Not for very long, when the day I was, I was leaving, the guys in the kitchen, usually not the most sentimental group of folks, they got me a, uh, a going-away present. Very unusual for this group of people. They said we went together, and we, we got you a porterhouse steak. It's Ruth's Chris. 40 bucks, though. And so, wow, that's just really, I guess must have made, a, made an impression with these, these fellas. They had it all packaged up for me in, uh, in foil and Ziploc, really sealed. They said, stick it in your freezer, you know, um, four, five, six months, whenever you're, you're really hungry, want a great meal, take it out and just, just think of the guys in the kitchen. So they did just that, stuck my, my, uh, my porterhouse steak in the freezer, probably three or four months later, pulled it out, thawed it in the in the refrigerator for a couple days. I think I skipped lunch that day. Had gone and worked out. I'm famished. I need two pounds of beef. It's two pounds. It's going to be great. Pull it out of the refrigerator. Unpack it. Uh, plastic from the outside. Undo the foil. The guys in the kitchen um, had gotten me a two-pound bag of flour. <laughs> they pranked me. It was a fake steak. <laughs> Just when I was as hungry as could be, a fake steak. That would have been my image instead of Jeremiah's, a a fake steak. You big fat, fake steak God. Just when I'm at my hungriest, I need something to sink my teeth into. Where the heck are you? Jeremiah's image. Your promises are a joke, God. My throat's like cotton balls. I need something to drink, anything. You're a deceitful brook. 
You got to give it to Jeremiah for his, uh, his imagery, his creativity, his chutzpah. He came by his thirst and his wounds honestly. Uh, you know anything about Jeremiah? He's not quite a Job, uh, but he had reason to be thirsty. All started well with, with him, uh, mind you. He gets the call to be a prophet as a, a young man. It's wonderful. He says he gobbles up God's word. He mentions it in our, in our text. Gobbles it up to him. It's as sweet as honey. It's just pure joy and delight. He has drunk the Kool-Aid. But then it turns out, uh, rather early on, it dawns on him that this prophet business is, uh, is going to be uh, tough going. Uh, going to be tough going, especially uh, when the audience that you're called to uh, preach to is given to cavorting around like a bunch of donkeys in heat. <laughs> One of Jeremiah's many uh, colorful images. <laughs> I say not, not, not quite a, a Job, but in some ways Jeremiah had it worse to, to have to preach to such a uh, recalcitrant audience. Uh, at least Job, he started with family and feasting, right? You know that story. Jeremiah never had any of that. And he never had any of that because from the beginning, God told him he wasn't allowed to. You shall not marry, Jeremiah. You shall not go to any festivals. You shall not attend any of the funerals of your friends and loved ones. Why? Because that was supposed to be part of your prophecy. No joy or comfort for Jeremiah to prophesy to the people. They keep at it. There'll be no joy or comfort for them either. He's in a bad way. (laughs) He's doing, he's done everything right. Followed his calling. But nothing but wounds to show for it. He's got a problem, doesn't he? It's Jeremiah. He's got a problem, but it might not be the one you think it is. I don't mean the pain. The pain hurts. But that's not why he's so angry and confused. This is what Jeremiah's promise is. It's right there in the first words that I began with. Lord, you know. Jeremiah's problem is that he actually believes that. I'll tell you what, tell, tell you what I mean. Another another image. Um, a couple weeks ago, I was driving to the beach with the family. There's a big billboard on the side of the road. Um, and there's a picture of a guy there. Takes up most of the billboard. Um, he's got his head in his hands. So, oh, he's distraught. Obviously, he's in a in a bad way. Who knows? Maybe he's a, a depressed prophet or something like that. But it doesn't really matter. For whatever reason, he's in, a, he's in a really bad way. And then off to the side, there's a caption that says, Confused? Jesus offers clarity. Now, I appreciate the sentiment, and it was nicer than some of the other billboards before and after it. <laughs> but driving on, I could not help but think, not really. <laughs> uh, now, and looking back, I could probably have put a better construction on it instead instead of saying not really um, thought, well, not all the time, but no, I'm sticking with not really. Jesus does not offer clarity. For people like Jeremiah, anyway. People really going through the ringer. Maybe people like him going through the ringer at that moment, no fault of their own. Maybe like you right now. Or if not right now, maybe like you next week. You never know. Next week might be the worst week of your life. But for people in real pain, instead of clarity, Jesus believing in him very likely makes things more confusing. The fact of, Lord, you know, raises more questions. 
You see, if there is no God at all, if there's no good and gracious Father whose word was once to you as sweet as honey, well then Jeremiah, he still has the pain, but he has no problem. It all makes sense. If there's no loving God out there, all your pain, all your brokenness, your sadness, past, present, and future, well at least it doesn't not make sense. If no Jesus, if no loving God, if the universe is just one big dice game, like some people believe, well then, Jeremiah, it kind of stinks to be you, but you just rolled craps. <laughs> you got the short stick. Someone's got to be off to the end of the bell curve. Stuff happens. But if the all-good, all-powerful Lord knows, and you know he knows, <laughs> if you've drunk the Kool-Aid, Well, then the festering wounds and the pain that never stops, that's a real problem. It's a confusing, angry, why in God's name is this happening problem that just might have you launching God word, creative insults, might have you calling him a deceitful brook. God, you big, fat, fake steak. Why? Confused? Well, God offers some things, but I am not convinced. And I'm pretty sure the older I get, the less convinced I am that clarity is one of them. Not that any of that keeps us from asking. (laughs) Why, said Jeremiah, demanding. And God responding, not explaining, mind you. No real answers to Jeremiah's why, and sorry if you're looking for that today or any day. None here either to your why's. And I don't know why that is. Maybe there's not an answer. Or, or maybe it's it, that even if there were an answer, it really wouldn't help any anyway. I mean, I, imagine the sharpest pain. This is not fun to do. The sharpest pain, the deepest wound, the worst loss you've ever suffered. Very unpleasant thing. So we'll go quickly. Would an explanation to that have suddenly made things better? If God in his glory had sent an angel masquerading as the world's wisest philosopher to sit down and have a conversation with you about the nature of free will and how only free creatures could actually love God, so God had to let X happen and then Y, which led to your horrible Z, would that suddenly have made things better? Or maybe if instead of the world's wisest philosopher, that cherub had come down masquerading as a a world-class, uber-world-class ethicist, to tell you how this was a trial God sent you. How God is using this trial to know better how painful it is to mold you into this and this and this. Would that have made No. In fact, if, if God had sent those angels, you may have assumed they were demons and told them to go back to hell. For it wouldn't have helped at all. I think Jeremiah's and your and my wise to God. Maybe they're like a little child. She's hurt. No fault of her own. Perhaps her dog died. Or her grandmother. She's red-faced and boogery. Pounding her fists into her her father's chest. Why did you let this happen? Why did this go on? I I thought I could trust you. She's probably saying mean stuff to her her dad. You big, fat, deceitful brook or, or worse. Stuff that's really not fair. But dad doesn't call his daughter on that so much. He mostly lets it slide. And since he knows that despite her red-faced, boogery, screaming why, 
that what this girl most wants, what his little girl most wants, is not an explanation, but to know that she's loved and that she's safe and that he's not going to up and die on her too. He just extends his great big arms. He takes the punches, extends his great big arms, wraps them around his little girl, and lets her ruin his shirt with her boogers and tears. That's God's response to Jeremiah. No proper answer to the why. Just a promise. Go back to what you were doing, Jeremiah. Stand and speak those words that I gave to you to speak, which were as sweet as honey. For I am with you. I'm with you to make you stronger than bronze. I am with you to redeem and to deliver and to save. That's God's answer to Jeremiah. But that's not an answer answer. It's not clarity. (laughs) That's a father taking the punches and the tears and the boogers and enveloping his prophet son in his great big arms. We don't get answers either. Not answers answers anyway. Not that they would help much if we did. You get Jesus. And what does Jesus give? Not clarity. We already established that. But how about hope? How about a friend? How about a comforter? Uh, God's response to Jeremiah came a long time before Jesus, but ultimately his ultimate response was Jesus, the Savior, the Deliverer, the Redeemer. And yes, we could go on a long ways about all the ways which Jesus is a heck of a lot like Jeremiah, rejected prophet and all that. But he is so much more. God in the flesh among us, talk about with you. God in the flesh among us, Jesus made it his whole business to go around the whole world, gathering up all the tears and the boogers he could find. And when the cruel world had had enough of him, and how cruel we've made our world, when the cruel world had had enough of him and hurled mean, unfair names at him and dragged him to the cross and pounded on his chest and pounded nails, what then? Well, he extended his great big arms as if wrapping them around the whole world and let all the little girls and boys ruin his body with their tears and their boogers and their nails and their sins. And three days later, he rose to say and never stop saying, I am with you and I'll make you stronger than bronze. To the very end of the age and beyond, I am with you to redeem, to deliver, to save. That's our story. Conclusion, one author puts it this way. He was thinking about our our cruel world and all the chorus of whys that ascend in response. And he says this. We don't say that God is in his heaven and all's well with the world. Not deep down. We say all is not well with the world. But at least God is here in it with us. We don't have an argument that solves the problem, answers the whys of the cruel world. We have a story. 
I think that's about it. We don't have an explanation or an argument or an answer. You have a story. You have a story, the story, the true story, the center of which is God himself in the thick of it all, taking the tears and the boogers and the sins and the nails. It's the bigger story that envelops all our smaller, painful stories. Not unlike those bigger arms of the father enveloping his little girl. Most of all, like those biggest arms of all, the ones spread on the cross for you, enveloping you right now. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.